Thank you, Yoshi. Thank you, sweetheart. That was beautiful playing on the piano, too. I'm telling you, that stuff is beyond my pay grade. But I am thankful for the musicians that we have here at this church. Amen. And how fitting of a song in not only what we've been studying in the life of Job, but this morning in the idea of the catch of the fish. Launch out. Be obedient in the small things and in those times when we're tired and have had the drought of the night, looking for the obedience to whatever God has for us in our lives. Thank you. And for our speaker tonight, as many of you remember him giving his testimony, being in the Philippines for, I think it was 16, 15 years, so many years, and coming home to work in a church and not working out and finding he has cancer, and now, you know, to say, God, whatever you want, to go back to the Philippines. I'm thankful for a man like that and a family like that that's willing to do whatever God wants. Amen. Brother Ferris, you come. The night is yours. The last time he was here, he preached for four hours, I think it was. <laughs> All right. Well, it is good to be back. And uh, I was just thinking, sitting back there, the next time I come here, you'll be in your new building. Amen? And uh, that'll be exciting. Praise the Lord. So it is an honor to be here. And I've already, I'm already making plans. I'm going to kidnap Yoshi and take him to the Philippines. And um, the talent pool, as far as music, with eyes I'm concerned, is Zill. Um, it, the church that we started, I don't know if I told you this story. Did I tell you this story about Elma last time I was here and her piano playing? Yeah, okay, I told you about it. She couldn't play the piano. So I'm looking to kidnap a piano player and some musicians somewhere. So I think this church has too many that you, so you could donate me one. Amen? And um, But things are going very well. Um, it's, it's amazing. You can see the Lord in this every step of the way. Um, I think sometime after the conference, I was like, Lord, I need an idea. I just want to express to the churches that have, you know, have shown interest. We really need to get there. We want to get there quickly. We we don't want, I mean, we know that good man's steps are ordered by the Lord, but we don't want this to be a four or five year process. We want to get back. And so we decided to come up with this idea, a church countdown. And um, so about two months ago, we started our, our 25 church countdown. We needed 25 new churches to come on board and partner with us. And um, in two months, that number has gone from 25 to 10. And uh, I'm like, why? I just, I've never experienced anything like that. I even had a church contact me in Japan. And it's a, it's a military church. And um, the pastor was like, hey, I was working out in a gym. And I was talking to one of my members. And the member said, do you know any missionaries that we could support going to the Philippines? The pastor was saying this. Because I have a friend named Dave Ferris. And that church just voted to take us on $100 a month. I've never been there, never met the pastor. And I'm like, wow, that is just tremendous. Amen. And uh, Lord is doing all. I could spend 30 minutes just telling you about the blessings that Lord has given to us since we um, have uh, been at the conference. Go for it. Okay. Well, let me get into a few of them. Um, I think one of the greatest ones is three weeks ago, I was, I uh, had my, um, six month checkup with the doctor and she used a word that she has never used before. She said, you are now cured. And I was like, wow, I cannot believe that. And, um, thank, 
Praise to the Lord, amen, she said, with the lymphoma. She said, being three years out with nothing, no reoccurrence, is like five years with other types of cancer. And, um, and you know, when we come home from the field, we were financially, I mean, just under the bus, really bad. And, um, you know, we lost our insurance. It just doesn't matter. We didn't have the money. And then when I lost my life insurance, boom, I found I had cancer later on. I was like, oh. I, I, I guess the biggest part of me, the biggest fear that I have of dying was not my wife not getting anything out of me. Amen. And, um, and so, but praise the Lord, I just found out that I'm actually worth something again. Amen. And so we are scooping up life insurance just as fast as I can. And that way, if anything does happen, I won't feel as bad about it. Amen. And um, so the Lord, I, I just, I'm excited about that. And um and what the Lord has done there. I, I don't know if I told you. It's You know, you go to so many churches, your stories run together. But I don't know if I told you about the trampoline that we were trying to purchase. Um, part, you know, we're not, we're not I'm, I'm not just a missionary. We're a missionary family, and we all want to be involved. And one of the ideas that I had was to bring a trampoline back to the Philippines and put it in our yard. And, and by the way, I have a prayer request for you. Pre, um, I'll get to this in a moment. But I'm going back soon to secure a house and. We're looking for a four or five bedroom, five preferably, because we're going to have a lot of visitors from the States coming. And then we need a good-sized yard. We want to start the church out of our home and use the yard space for that. And we have this trampoline that we wanted to purchase. The Philippine kids, most of them, have never seen a trampoline, but they like to come over and do things like that. And so in Issaquah, there's a company called Spring Free, they sell these tremendous trampolines that won't rust, and, and they're very safe. And the trampoline I wanted was $2,800. And so we put the need out there. And uh, the place where my kids go to Christian school, they gave us um, they gave us $500. And another church in Ohio gave us $600. And so it was $1,200, $1, but the, the trampoline was $2,800. So on my way to the cancer checkup, we stopped in there. And the lady that runs the place, she's a Jewish lady. And um, and so I, I, my kids were jumping on the trampoline, checking it out. And, and so it came up in conversation that we were missionaries. And she says, I will be right back. And, um, and now this lady is not saved. And she came back and she goes, could you make me a promise? I said, probably. And she said, if I was to drop the price to 1275 because you're missionaries, would you send me pictures of the kids jumping on the trampoline in the Philippines? And, and uh, I'm like, matter of fact, I will put you on my monthly prayer letter list and, uh, and uh, I'll give you all the updates that you want. And so we were able to already purchase that trampoline. I have three boxes in my shed that weigh 220 pounds a piece. And so my kids, we're going to have Friday night jump night at Pastor Dave's house. And so we need that. We not only need, we need this house, the size house and yard, but we need it in the location that um, we're trying to plant the church. And so pray about that. I know God can answer that prayer. And so I'm excited about that. And who knows, there might be a way eventually to, you know, give the gospel to that Jewish lady and who knows what the Lord might do with that. Amen. And so just excited about that. By the way, before I forget, 
uh, Brother Eddie Tremble, I talked to him this week, and he said to say hi to the church, and uh, they're doing well. Matter of fact, we're, we're going, it's north of him, and he's got a lady coming a long ways, and she just told him, Pastor, it's too far from uh, from where I live to keep coming. And he said, just keep coming a little bit longer. He said, my friend Dave Ferris is coming, and he's starting a church where you live. So we have a member in waiting, amen? So... I'm hoping she can play the piano. That way I don't have to, you know, steal anybody. But um, <clears throat> anyways, the Lord uh, uh, has been good to us. So we're about 10 churches away from having what we need. And so my timetable originally was to fly there in December, get a house, and then we would leave, you know, later on next year. But with these churches coming on board, I've been able to move that up. So Lord willing, I am flying to the Philippines in September. And uh, to try to secure the house, we're doing a door-to-door move with some of our things. But So that means I need an address on the other side of the pond before I can do this. So anyways, we're going to do this door-to-door move. And then the Lord willing, we're all flying there in January. I wanted to leave in December, but I can save $1,000 per ticket if I um, wait just a few more weeks and leave in January. So I think the Lord would not have a problem with saving his folks some money. Amen. So we're excited about that. So continue to pray for us. And, um, and thank you for the missions committee with, with that vote. I, I, I appreciate that. And there are, you like getting support from every church you go to, but there's some churches like, man, I would really like to have that relationship with them. Amen. And this is one of them. So thank you so much for that. And, um, without any further ado, if you have your Bibles, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I am not going to preach a missions message tonight. Um, I want to give you something else that I hope and pray will be a blessing to you. You know, um, I enjoy commuting, communicating with people via social media, Facebook, things like that. But I'm telling you, it's been a little bit discouraging the last couple of weeks. A lot of God's people are discouraged, and I can understand why they're discouraged about what's happening in our country as far as the direction and and what's going on. But can I tell you this? The God that was on the throne two weeks ago is the same God that's on the throne tonight. Amen. And the Bible says still, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we don't need to walk around with our mouth so low that we could suck oatmeal out of a tailpipe. Amen. We have a lot to be encouraged about. And can I tell you this? I mean, I'm not talking about condoning sin or anything like that, but sinners do what sinners are supposed to do. They, they sin. Amen. And we got to remember that what Jesus said, he came into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And can, can I tell you something? And this has nothing to do with the message, but there is nothing wrong with the harvest tonight. Amen. The, the only problem with the harvest is lack of laborers. Amen. The harvest is doing what the harvest is supposed to be doing. And we just need to get in our minds, man, the Lord has something for us to do. We can be encouraged about it. We know who wins in the end. Amen. And so our job is to just keep our nose to the grindstone and keep after it. And one day the Lord is going to set everything straight. Amen. So, man, be encouraged, not discouraged. It's not a Joel Olstein message, but you need to be encouraged. Amen. So, all right. First Corinthians chapter number 11. 
And uh, this is a chapter that I'm sure uh, you use when it comes time for the Lord's Table. Our church uses this. And, um, and the Lord's Table is an important time to remember what He did for us. And I like this verse down in verse number 28. The Bible says there, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, we know that before we take of the Lord's table, we are to have this time of self-examination to make sure there is nothing between us and the Lord and, and that we have a clean slate before God. That way, when we partake of His table, we don't partake of it unworthily. Are, are you with me? And so, examining ourselves is something we do before we take it. But, you know, I think that self-examination is a good thing not only for the Lord's table, but on a daily basis and just to check out things and make sure things are okay between us and the Lord. You know, going through this cancer process, I learned that there are many different types of examinations, physical examinations. You have the examinations that are just general in nature where maybe they'll listen to your chest a little bit and stick out your tongue and put the depressor on your tongue and look at your tonsils and look in your ears. And that's not a very in-depth examination. But then there's other tests and examinations and man, they are really in-depth. The one that I'm thinking of right now, uh, going through the chemotherapy and everything is the PET scan. And I'll never forget my doctor's a Chinese lady named Dr. Wong. And uh, Lord gave, I told you that, Lord gave me a great doctor. And, and I remember she told me I needed a PET scan. I asked her, what time do you want my poodle here? And she scratched her head for a few seconds and, ho oh, ho, you're so funny. And, uh, and, uh, but for those of you that don't know what the PET scan is, that's a little test where they make you fast and, and they bring you into this cold, dark room and they hook you up in a, to an IV and they put these radioactive, I guess they're like sugars into you, uh, cancer-like sugar. So when it's been starved, when you've been fasting, and then that radioactive sugar is released into your system and it has a chance to work its way around after 45 minutes, and it hits those cancer cells. Those cancer cells are like the cookie monster on Sesame Street. You guys remember him? And I, that was my favorite character growing up. Ooh, me like cookies. That cancer just goes crazy, gobbling up that sugar. And when they put you into that tube and you're wrapped like a mummy, my nose that never itches. But when I'm in that tube, all of a sudden, it's, I remember I was in that tube and my nose started itching. And I was like, and they're like, don't blow your no on your nose. And I'm like, I'm dying. And, uh, you know, and then inevitably you've got to go to the restroom, but you can't. It's just murder, I'm telling you. But anyways, that when you get into that tube and it starts making that humming noise, it starts reading, and if you've got that cancer, that when those sugars hit that area of cancer, it shows up red on the scan, and that's how they tell where the cancer is located in your body. That's a deep, penetrating scan. And tonight, what I would like to do before we get into the message is ask you tonight, help me out, would you be willing to have a time of examination tonight and, and more or less give yourself a spiritual 
PET scan. How would you like to do that, huh? Would you like to do that? It won't hurt. I promise it won't cost the $9,000 that it costs every time I get my scan, okay? So it's an expensive scan, but because I'm a missionary, we can do this free of charge. So what I need you to do tonight is I need you to lift up your arm. Ready? Everybody lift up your arm. Come on. Don't be a stick in the mud. Lift it up. All right? And with the other hand. Now, we're not doing math or anything like that. All right, hit the plunger. And as I preach, hopefully that word of God will start traveling around. And if anything shows up red, you can put your arms down now, okay? You know, and uh, if anything shows up red on the scan, let's do something with God concerning the red that may show up. Can we do that? Turn over very quickly to Hebrews chapter number 11. Tonight, I want to address a cancer that is in a lot of God's people's homes. It's in a lot of God's people's lives. And unfortunately, it shows up in churches. And it's a cancer that if it's left unguarded, Hebrews chapter 12, and and left undealt with, it is a cancer that will kill you, spiritually speaking. Are you with me tonight? Hebrews chapter number 12, look in verse number 15, if you would. The Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of, what's that next word there? Bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The cancer, the spiritual cancer that I want to talk about tonight is the cancer of bitterness. Now, I know the church still needs to vote on this, so maybe on us as a missionary family, so maybe I should wait to tell the story next time I come back. I don't know. But um, there's something the mission committee, I don't know if I told them or not, but anyways, um, from I enrolled in college in 1990 long time ago. And from 90, pastor's eyebrows are like, what is he going to say? Yeah. Uh, but from 90 to 94, I was expelled from the Bible college on three different occasions. You said, Brother Ferris, what did you do? Were you smoking? No, I wasn't smoking. Were you going out partying? No, I wasn't going out partying. See, you have to forgive me. I'm from New York. And if you don't know this about New Yorkers, Oftentimes, we get to where we're going, our mouths do, five minutes before our bodies arrive. And um, and basically, I got in trouble because of my yapper. Are you with me? And, um, and you know, I come from New York, and those Okies did not quite know how to deal with somebody from where, you know, from where I came from. And so I got in some trouble down there with my mouth, and, uh, and you know... Um, I'm ashamed of a lot of what happened and the things that I did and the things that I said. But there was something that they didn't know about that had happened before. And I'm not trying to excuse it, but it is part of the story tonight. That had happened before I arrived in Bible college. In 1981, my dad was given a or 1979, was given a track, John R. Rice's track, What Must I Do to Be Saved? And my dad read that at his workplace and 
got saved and then the deacon that gave him the track discipled my dad and got him into church and my mom got saved and I got saved and my little brother got saved and we were all in church for many years during the 80s and my dad grew and became a deacon but like in so many churches across our land a problem arose in the church and I can't even tell you what the problem was, who was right, who was wrong. I I really don't know. It doesn't really matter. But the fact of the matter is a problem arose in the church. The church split and my dad started becoming bitter about what was going on in the house of the Lord. Are you with me tonight? And instead of dealing with that bitterness, it was allowed to stay under the surface like our verse says in Hebrews chapter number 12, and, and, and it is this, all of a sudden, what seemed to be in control, what seemed to be okay, it sprung up, and when bitterness springs up, that word spring means literally to leap, when it leaps up, if we're not careful, not only us, but those that are associated with us become defiled because of the sin of bitterness. Say, Brother Dave, what is bitterness? Bitterness is like having a grudge that won't go away. Bitterness can be described as a hatred. Bitterness can be described as a deep distress of one's mind. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I've been to churches from East Coast to West Coast, top to bottom in our country, and there are some of God's people that are sitting in the pew, and thank God they're there, but they're bitter about something that has happened in their lives or in the church that happened 20, 25 years ago, and they don't do nothing for God but come, and it's because of bitterness, because of that cancer that has been left undealt with in their lives. Are you with me? And it's sad. And it doesn't need to be that way. So anyways, my dad, man, he's... He started to get bitter about the things that had happened. And little by little, you could see you could see it happen. Pastor, you've probably seen it many times. Sunday night fell off. Witnessing was no more. And just to make it a little bit shorter tonight, uh, it got to the place where he finally was out of church and pulled the whole family out of church. And then, you know, the old habits he had before he got saved, the smoking, the drinking, the spousal abuse, all of those things seemed to come back, but come back with a vengeance. And then he found somebody that was more important than his own family, and he hit the road. And he left. So you see, when I arrived in Bible college, I had all that that had just happened. And inside, I was very angry. And it was manifesting itself through my mouth. Now, I want to remind you tonight that we are made in the image of God. There's a fancy word for that. It's called trichotomy. We are spirit, we are a soul, and we are a body. Amen. And if you study bitterness, you can see how it affects us on each one of those levels. The spirit part of us, that enables us to have that relationship with God. You know, if you're not saved and that part of you is dead, it needs to, we need to be born again and regenerated, amen? But that part allows us to communicate with God. And bitterness likes to attack us on that level. And then the soul, that's the real you and I, amen? I mean, tonight you see my body, the third part, but the real me is my soul. That's the, 
that's the part of you that's going to spend either eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. And bitterness loves to attack on a soul level our relationships with each other. And it's no wonder today in our country and in our churches, in our homes, that parents are seem to be against uh, children and children against parents and husbands and wives and everything seems to be upside down and in a mess. What has happened is bitterness has been allowed to get in and like a cancer, it has spread and many of us are defiled because of it. Now, let me ask you a question. If we are defiled because of the sin of bitterness, how is our effectiveness going to be for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it going to be 100% effective? No, it's not. I don't know what percentage you can put on the effectiveness, but we are not going to be what we could be for our master if bitterness is left there and not dealt with. Are you with me tonight? Now, if you would, turn over to the book of Job. Now, I'm not going to pick on Brother Job tonight. If anybody ever had a right to be bitter, boy, you could put Job at the top of that list. Huh? Uh, I tell you, Job went through some incredible things, and we know that Job did not sin with his lips or charge God foolishly. However, Job does give us some interesting insight to this cancer or this sin of bitterness. Look, look very uh, quickly, if you would, to Job chapter number 7 in verse number 11. Let's very quickly look at the flesh part of this. I told you that I got in a lot of trouble in college because of what I would say. And bitterness will manifest itself in our flesh. It will come out. In verse number 11 of Job chapter 7, he says this, Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my what? So, have you ever met somebody that's just sarcastic all the time? But I'm not talking about the funny kind of sarcasm. I'm talking about the sarcasm with a little bit of a twist. You know what I'm talking about? That's usually, nine times out of ten, somebody that's dealing with with bitterness, something that is happening is coming out in their flesh. And Job is at the place in his life where he's like, man, I don't even feel like being careful about what I've got to say. I'm just going to say what I'm thinking. See, he's dealing with bitterness. He even said, I'm going to speak in the bitterness of my soul. See, what had happened to Job? I mean, Job was being tried and, 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 and tested. And so the Lord gave the devil a season to, to attack. And we know the story without going into the everything. But he lost his kids and he lost his possessions and he lost his health. And, and he's in a pitiful situation. And, and, you know, Job's wife came to him and said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And let's not be too judgmental about her either because everything Job lost, Mrs. Job lost also. Amen. And then his friends. Oh, thank God for friends sometimes. Amen. And, and those friends that were up and be an encouragement or passing judgment and saying, Job, what, what must have you done against God to deserve this? And so Job is in a pitiful state and he's speaking out of the bitterness of his soul. Matter of fact, look what Job says over here in Job chapter number nine. 
So he, he's being affected on a soul level. His wife is saying, curse God. His friends, Job, what have you done? Now look what Job says over here in Job chapter number 9 and verse number 14. Listen to what he says concerning God. He says, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? Whom though I were righteous, yet I would not answer and would make supplication to my judge. Verse 16, if I had called and he had answered me, yet I would not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. This is what Job is saying of God. He's saying, God, I'm at the place right now with our relationship, spirit, that if I prayed and you answered, I'm not going to believe it was you who answered my prayer. Help me out, folks. Is that a good place or a bad place to be with God? What do you think your effectiveness for God in that kind of moment would be? Not, not very good. But yet that's where Job finds himself. Say, God, I'm not even going to believe it's you. You know, sometimes we have things that come into our lives that we don't think is fair. And I told you last time, God really does care, doesn't he? But bitterness causes us to become blind to the fact that God really does care. And Job has got a moment of blindness here. And he's saying, God, God, I'm not even going to believe it's you. Look what else Job goes on to say here in this passage. He says this. He said, verse 17, for he breaketh me with a tempest. He multiplies my wounds without a cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with what's the next word? bitterness. Job is saying, God, I'm not going to believe you if you answer my prayer. God, you have wounded me without a cause. And God, you have filled me with bitterness. Is that a good place or a bad place to be in life? It's a bad place to be. But yet that's where Job finds himself. Can I say this about bitterness? Bitterness will cause you. You think it's okay. You can lay it, lay it under the surface. The Bible says that it'll spring up. And bitterness will cause you to become tired of your family. Bitterness will cause you to become tired of your friends. Bitterness will cause you to become tired of your church. Bitterness will cause you to become tired of everything that is good and wholesome in your life. Bitterness will destroy you. I often go back to the time when I found that little lump on my neck and I had to go see the doctor. And, you know, and I didn't want, you know how guys are. If we ignore it long enough, it will go away. You know, and I didn't want to tell him about this. I'm like, yeah, it's just, you know, it ain't nothing. What would have happened if it had gone on? It would have moved from stage two to three, connected to a organ and adios. And bitterness is the same way. You think, oh, it's, it's okay. It's not a big It is a big deal. Amen? And, folks, I, I don't want to be unkind or mean. I know there are wounds that happen that are so deep and they hurt so bad. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Bitterness is a choice. If we're bitter about something that is happening or has happened in our life, we are bitter because we chose to be bitter. God doesn't fill us with bitterness. 
He doesn't wound his children without a cause. Man, I, I've been traveling a lot alone, and, and um, I, I, I miss the family when I'm gone. And can I tell you something? When I get home and, and I walk in the door, and my wife and kids are there, and they're all happy. The kids are happy because they know I brought them something. Um, if I'm gone a few days, nothing. If I'm gone a week, nothing. If I'm gone more than a week, they know they're getting something, okay? So they're always waiting, what'd you get? And, uh, but when I walk in the door, I don't ask my wife, Diane, what have those little urchins done? I just feel like busting them right now. I don't do that. Why? Because, man, I love them. Matter of fact, when my kids do wrong, I am looking for avenues of grace and mercy that I can extend to them without violating God's principles of discipline of children. Are you with me? I And, and sometimes we get this picture of God that he's some old man up in heaven with this long flowing beard and a cane and wakes up every morning and just looking to bonk us in the head. That is not God. But bitterness will cause us to think that's God and he doesn't care. Are you with me? Look, if you would, to Job chapter number 10. Say, I can handle it. Job 10, verse number 1. He says here, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my what? So, my soul is weary of my life. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. What do you think Job is saying? Job is saying, I am tired of living. Can I ask you something? If you're tired of living, how effective do you think that you're going to be for God? Not so effective. Amen. Now I can understand health issues, and you know you're, you've been dealing with something. And you, you want to go? I understand all that. But I'm talking to those of us that you know, man, we still got a lot we can do, and we're moping around saying, "Man, I just, I'm tired. I just wish I could die." There's this lady in our church in the Philippines. I never forget it. She's about 75 years old, and she's a healthy 75. I mean, she's a 75. That acts like she's 55. Are you with me? And uh, I, I went to her house to visit her, and she's sitting outside her hut. I said, Lola, como esta acá? Okay, Lon. I said, I'm just okay. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, i never forget it. She said, I'm waiting for nothing. I'm like, waiting for nothing. That's sad. Amen. I mean, there's a lot for us to do for the Lord. We don't need to be waiting for nothing. We need to be waiting for his return, but busy in the meantime. But you see, bitterness will get us to that place where we blame God for what's happening in our lives. And we get tired. And the end game is we get tired of our lives. And this is what the devil does with bitterness. There's our songbook here I can borrow. Where, here we go. If this is bitterness in our lives, what Satan does is he likes to keep that under the surface and he uses bitterness and little by little, he is moving us off of God's chessboard where we're no longer effective for the Lord. Can I ask you a question tonight? How is that spiritual PET scan going? You don't have to raise your hand. Is anything showing up red? If it is, we need to do something about it, don't we? I'm going to close with this. I'm going to show you what God says to do about our bitterness. How's that? I, 
you know, it's bad enough to find out you maybe you got cancer, but it's nice to hear about the cure. I'll never forget my doctor. She says, your cancer is growing very fast. Like, oh, that's terrible. She goes, no, that's good. The faster it grows, the easier I can kill it. I like that word, kill. I like kill. I like that. Amen. Kill it. And she goes, the easier I can kill it. I like, I like her. Amen. You know, drop the bomb on it, doc. Amen. And, um, and you know, so God does have a remedy for our bitterness. Turn if you would to, Eph- um, not Ephesians, but, um, Isaiah chapter number five, Isaiah chapter number five. Verse number 20. I like this word here. It says, whoa. Now, this is not like, whoa, or whoa. This is, whoa. It's like, stop. I'll never forget we were, um, I, again, if I told this story before, I'm sorry. They all run together. But we were hiking up in the mountains and uh, at this place called Eden Park in Davao City. And I asked the guide. I said, uh, I do not buy among a beat injury. And, uh, you know, voila, voila. That means I asked him, are there any snakes here in the mountain? And uh, he's like, no, no. I said, cigarato kaba. I said, are you sure? Oh, oh, sure kaayu. I said, not a man. Why? Why are you sure? And he said, Kai now He said, it's very cold in the mountain. And because it's cold, the snakes are not there. So he said, Ayo Kabalaka, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. And so we're, I got my church workers with us. Matthew is just about, I don't know, three or four years old. And so we're hiking up. And I like to go to this place, Eden Park, because it's very high. And it's so high that the pine trees grow. And I can smell the pines. And if I dump a bucket of ice water over my head and sniff real quick, I can almost feel like I'm in Washington State for like a second, okay? Because it's cold and I can smell pine. But anyways, so we're hiking around and and, uh, we're hiking up these stairs that have been carved into the mountain. And I just happened to look behind me and Matthew was about to step and underneath his foot was a baby cobra ready to strike. And I said, Matthew, stop! That's kind of like that word in there, whoa. You better pay attention to what I'm about to say. You want to hear the rest of the story? Okay. Man, he was like the karate kid. With his balance. Man, that snake uncurled and went off into the shrubs. And I was like, whew, took about five years off my life. Amen. But the point of this is, when God says, whoa, we better stop and listen to what he has to say. Amen? Isaiah chapter 5, look what he says here very quickly. Verse 20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We have a lot of that going on today, yes or no? Yeah, we do, don't we? That put darkness for light and light for darkness. Any of that going on today? Sure is. God says, don't do that. Now look at this. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Bible says, if you have bitter envying, glory not and lie not against the truth. God's first command concerning our sin of bitterness is simply this. If it's there, admit to it. Hello. How can you deal with a problem unless you admit you got one? I mean, it's simple. 
But what we like to do is we like to call this by different names and not what it is. Oh, it's not cancer. It's just, you know, it's just a problem. It's just a mass. It's just a lump. You know, it's it's no big deal. But meanwhile, that big deal is under the surface spreading and it's going to attach itself to something and destroy you. And God says, don't call it by something it's not. Call it what it is. You know, um, the third time after being kicked out of the college, I moved back to the state of New York. It's funny what sin does. Who do you think the last person I would ever move in with would be? My dad and his new wife. Who would I move in with? My dad and his new wife. And see, that bitterness had affected me. And it was growing and growing. And I thought things were bad before. Man, when I moved in, things for me personally got even worse. And I was excusing away. My dad did this. My dad did that. And the problem wasn't him. The problem was me and my bitterness and my refusal to call it what it was. So if you got it, God tells us to what? Admit to it. Help me out. He tells us to what? Admit to it. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians, please. Book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Verse number 31. The Bible says there, let all... What's that next word? Bitterness. Now, help me out. I, I, again, I'm from New York, not too smart. What does that word all mean? Is all 80%? All is 100%. Do you know they don't declare you cancer-free till zero cells show up on that scan? Why? Because if there's one left, it's going to multiply, divide, and spread. Are, are you with me? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking, be put away from you with with all malice. That's all a list of things that bitter people have. Amen. And God wants us to do this. He wants us to take our bitterness. He wants us to admit to it. And then he wants us to put it away. Some of us maybe were holding on to things that, like I said, happened many, many years ago. But God says you need to put it away. And Pastor and I and Pastor Nathan know that some of those wounds are so deep that maybe it's something you've got to put away every day and put it down and put it down and put it away. But here's what happens. When you're obedient to God and you start putting it away and putting it away, man, a week will come by. Guess what? I haven't had to, I haven't messed with that. Maybe two weeks and before you know it, you've got a victory in your life over something you never thought possible. It comes by admitting to it and doing what God says and putting it all away. Okay, why did things get bad for you when you moved in with your dad? You know, my dad remarried, and then my dad went before his church, stood before the church, and said, I have messed up my life. I have sinned. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Can I ask you a question? Is that a good thing or a bad thing for my dad to do? 
That was a great thing, wasn't it? You know, the Bible says when we confess our sins that God separates them as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that cool? He says he buries them in the deepest sea. He says about our sins that he remembers them no more. But see, the problem me, because I was bitter, what my dad did in front of the church wasn't good enough for me. And I'd go to God, God, he, he left us. And God's reaction would be, when? Because he, we can remember, but God can't. And what I was doing is I was holding things over my dad's head that God couldn't even remember. And it wasn't killing my dad. It was killing me. Are you with me? And it got to the place where I had a Job chapter 10, verse number one moment, where my soul was weary of my life. And I said, God, I am through. I am out of here. And I walked up to my dad's room, intending on taking my life. And brother, at that moment, there was a knock at the door. My dad and his wife were gone. I went downstairs, and there was a man at the door named Jeff Smith. Jeff had been one of my instructors in Bible college, and he had gone to New York to start a military mission. And, and you can call him tonight if you want to. On that day, at that moment, God says, you need to go see Dave Ferris. And I knew that was God, excuse me, giving me another chance. But it almost ended that day because of undealt with bitterness in my life and in my heart. Are you with me? It's a killer. See, the key to getting over this sin of bitterness is found in our next verse. The Bible says here, And be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Say, Brother Dave, my situation is different. They haven't said they're sorry. Can I say something? I, I'm sorry for that. But whether they're sorry or not, whether the situation has been resolved or not, no matter what you're going through, maybe it's financial, work-related, that little word, all there in the preceding verse covers it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you. God's command is very simple. We need to take that bitterness, if it's there, admit to it, and put it away. Can I tell you something? Can you imagine what would have happened? Or maybe it's better saying this. What would never have happened had the devil had his victory on that day? Wouldn't it have my wife? Wouldn't it have my beautiful children? The souls that have been saved in the Philippines might not have happened because of bitterness left undealt with. Amen. Can I ask you a question? How'd the PET scan go tonight? If anything shows up, Brett, I'm sure there'll be a moment here. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor where you can do something about it. You can admit to it and you can put it away once and for all. Amen. Pastor, I'm done.
Sabbath this evening. We'll have this altar open up here, and maybe there's somebody you need to forget about the sin that's going on in their lives, and maybe somebody's done you wrong. And, you know, so often we hold what somebody else has done to us, and we justify that bitterness based on their actions. And all it's doing is like Brother Ferris says, it's killing you. So, Jenny, why don't you just come and play the piano, and why don't we just take a few minutes now, and if someone would like to come to the altar, they can, or kneel there at their, their seat. But if there are some things, as we search our hearts tonight, why don't we look to see if there's somebody that we need to forgive? Whether they ask it or not, you know, Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. And that's a godly act, is to forgive people whether they ask or not, so that you do not harbor bitterness in your own soul. So as Janie plays just a little bit, then tonight we'll just give this invitation. Aren't you glad that God forgives us? You think of anybody that would try to hold something against us, and all he wants us to come call out to him and say, Father, forgive me, and he will. So let's take this time. If you're not saved, I encourage you tonight to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Tonight, that's our prayer, Lord. We surrender all, all to Thee we freely give. And Lord, tonight we can lay on the altar those things that are hurts. Maybe we've hurt somebody else. Maybe tonight we need to go to somebody and ask forgiveness. Lord, I pray that You'll speak to our hearts. For Lord, we can be the one that's causing bitterness, and though unjustifiably, but yet, Lord, if there's things that we can do to have a kind word, Lord, that you'll help us to be men and women that you'd have us to be. And help us to keep our eyes upon you rather than trying to justify why we are unkind to somebody or why we fail to exercise in grace. You said if we fail in grace, in other words, giving to somebody what they don't deserve, if we fail in grace, the root of bitterness, and many are defiled. And Lord, that seed can be like a fire that spreads to the church our homes, to lives, and many are defiled. So God, help us tonight to lay those things upon the altar for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Amen. Well, I tell you, isn't it great to have God speak to you, to listen, and to do what God would have you do? If God lays some things on your heart, you need to take care of it. Uh, just take care of it. It's so good. And as I was kneeling there, sometimes I was thinking, I was thinking about a situation. I was thinking, you know what it is? Oftentimes I look at what has happened to me or what situation took place, and I focus on it, and I don't focus on the Lord. So my eyes are misplaced, aren't they? So we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. When we look to man, 
we can start getting into the wrong kinds of emotions and thoughts and then say things we wished we hadn't. Anybody ever said anything they wished they hadn't said? (laughs) They say words are like taking a feather pillow and ripping it open in 20-mile-an-hour winds then trying to go back and gather those feathers. It can spread out there like a wildfire. James tells us that too. Brother Ferris, thank you so much. Aren't you glad that he's going to become a part of our family here? Amen. Amen. Because just like he said, he said, man, I'd like this church to take us on. So it is with us is because you become a part of us. And you're our arm out there in the Philippines, and we're excited about that. Well, it's been a good night, hasn't it? Take home what we've heard tonight. And, and just this week, sometimes something might be said to you that will challenge you in just what you heard this evening. Make sure you follow God's principles. God bless you. You are dismissed.